1: I could have taken that 50000 and gone and bought a BMW but I decided to invest it in my first time.
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Irene Swan who has over 30 years of marketing and sales experience. She shares with us as a single mother of 4 children how she earned her success to build a portfolio that made over $2.2 million from property development within 2.5 years. We find out what Irene Swan does in her day-to-day activities as a property investor where she proves she can really do it all.
1: I'm a single mother of four children who's dealt with personal and financial adversities and risen above it. I'm the managing director of Boss Developments, Maruka Mall, which is uh, 16 retail shops and a property in lifestyles proprietary limited. I also own my own commercial property and I've just started a venue called Meetings at
0: Milton. She delves into what a typical day in her life looks like.
1: The last few weeks, I've been under the doona, (laughs) so is everybody else. But normally, I look after my properties myself. Um, I'm a bit of a control freak. I don't like handing over my finances to someone else. So before the pandemic, what I was doing is getting, I've got an approval to build 46 units at Cabocho-on-the-River. And where I'm going to be building 46 units and it's basically going to be for people 55 and over. Now that area is really booming at the moment. There's a new hospital, there's a new university. So I've owned that site since 2007. Uh, The problem is we went through the GFC so I'm really ready to do that now. So as soon as this is over, uh, I'm going to go to Sydney and I've got a couple of joint venture partners who would like to do that with me.
0: Swan goes on to explain how exactly she was able to get a development approval for 46 units.
1: I've got a bit of a gift. <laughs> I can actually walk on a block of land and I just make work it out in my head, whereas my accountant's got his you know, piece of paper and not my accountant, my um, architect, and um, I basically, I actually did two development sites. The other one was on the um, waterfront at Scarborough. So I had a uh, development approf- approval there for about uh, 11 units. But I've just recently sold that because uh, I owned it with my ex and he didn't want to build it, so we sold it. But the one at Caboolture, um, it's on probably 6,000 square metres. It's on the riverfront. It's in a cul de sac. It's really beautiful. I mean, I wouldn't live in that area because I live at Paddington, but uh, it's it's good for you know people who like living out of suburb. So yeah. So um, I'm really good at getting DA. So I get I get the, the block of land and then I go and get a DA. And I had an architect, but unfortunately he died last year, which which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, we've been together like for 15 years. So yeah. So he's really good. We usually sit together, and I usually sort of look outside the square. So did he. So we had great, you know, great minds sit together type thing.
0: Before delving into how Swan started her property journey, we hear a bit about her upbringing.
1: I was born on a little island called Mauritius. Uh, it's on south east coast of Africa. And actually, it's a really good story. My grandparents were shipwrecked on the island, and um, so um, they were Irish, and so I'm sort of half Irish and half Mauritian. Uh, My my parents had eight children. We were really poor. And um, I think from a very early age, I used to see these people begging on the streets, And just people homeless everywhere. And it really gets to affect me. And from a very early age, I had this subconscious thing in my head that one day I'm going to be rich. And it didn't start when I was 30 or 40 or 20. It started when I was probably about eight years old. And uh, my father, (coughs) who had uh, eight children, he was a bit of an entrepreneur So he had to feed all of us. So what he used to do is buy blocks of land. And mind you, this is Mauritius, right? He didn't make much money. A few pennies. He used to buy a block of land. He'd subdivide it and um, he would sell the back or the front. And then we used to move a lot. But I didn't realize that uh, I suppose that property was going to be something I was going to do until much later in life. It took me a long time to realize what I really wanted to do with my life. So I'd say that my father had a huge influence on me and he was a workaholic. He worked you know, 20 hours a day and he really loved what he did.
0: Swan talks about where she grew up during her childhood before she moved to Australia.
1: I stayed in Mauritius for the first 10 years of my life. At the age of 10, my mother thought that we should move to Australia. We moved to Sydney um, to give us a better life. And um, as a migrant, I went to school, to a Catholic girls' school. And I was really bullied at school because in those days, people didn't really like migrants. So they used to call me a wog and all sorts of things. So I had a lot of issues growing up. And so I sort of was always... Feeling less than, I had huge self-esteem issues. So, and then after that, when I turned 15, that was when you can actually start working. I used to work a lot. I've never had a social life. I used to work um, in, you know, Devondale ice cream factory. I used to work at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I would work, you know, whenever I could. I could work.
0: She looks back on her younger years and how she never felt good enough at school.
1: When I was at school, I was so, I don't mean to say that, but that's how I felt. I always felt stupid because when I came to Australia, I spoke French, was my first language. And it took me a little while to get used to English and then I wasn't listening, I wasn't interested. And I come from family, a family that's, Education is so important, like my two nieces have PhDs and masters and all that sort of thing. So education to Mauritius is really important. So all my life, I sort of felt inadequate with my family. And for a long time, they used to say, oh, you're just a salesperson, you're just a salesperson. Well, this salesperson's worth more than all of them put together, so I don't mind.
0: She goes on to share what path she took after she finished high school.
1: After 15, so then I left school, grade 12, and I was a model during the day. Uh, I worked in Favre Street in Sydney, and at night I would work in a restaurant, and on the weekends I would work in a wine bar. So I was always working, and there was no social thing at all. And what it was is whenever I went somewhere, I didn't really enjoy myself, the only time I really enjoyed myself was when I was working and making money. So after that, I started getting jobs, you know, sales sales reps here and there, and I was getting, stealing a lot of Australia Post accounts because I was really good at sales. So Australia Post came to me and said, uh, we'd like you to join us, and that was um, – was an AO6 position in the public service.
0: What does an AO6 mean? Can you just explain that? It's
1: pretty high. <laughs> so, well, what it was is normally when you work for a straight post, you've got to start AO1, AO2, AO3, AO4, AO5. But because I was really good at what I did and I had a, a great um, database of clients, um, I started as an AO six, which is a corporate accounts manager. So I used to look after all the corporate uh, clients in Brisbane. Now all the people at Australia Post had my guts. They thought that, you know, I'd slept with a boss to get where I am, and I didn't. But they, because in in Australia Post you had to go through one, two, three, four, five, six. So, yeah, and and that job was really good for me because it gave me, I had a really good salary, a company car and it actually helped me buy my first home.
0: Swan Dell's moined her superior position at Australia Post, showing how long she worked there.
1: I was there for three years and basically what happened, I hated that job. I hated it. I hated it so much. It was really hard to drag myself out of bed every day. And um, so one day I woke up. This is after I built my first home. I woke up one day and I said, right, I'm not going to work anymore. I gave up my work and I stopped working. And that was the best decision I made because ever since then I've been self-employed. And it was really hard because I had four kids and um, I was a single mum with four kids. And so what I basically did is I went on the single mother's pension for about six months because I was really exhausted from looking after these kids and working full-time. And, you know, when you've got kids, you've got to drive them around to sports, etc. So basically, so I gave up my job. And that's when my life began.
0: Having four kids is not easy. How old are they? Were they when when you left your job?
1: They were young because my husband left me with four kids. And I tell you, at the time that he left me, oh, God, I was so depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, It was a really, really daunting experience because what happens, you're used to having a husband who works and blah, 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 and the kids were really affected. And then I've got four kids I've got to provide for. And they were always like, mommy, 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 mommy. And I really wanted to get ahead in life because I've got an eight type personality. So it was really hard. And that's what makes my story a little bit better because it's really hard to find a single mum with four kids who really suffered from depression. Like, I have suffered from depression all my life. It's something that I think it's probably in my family so I've got a little bit of a stop spot for people who suffer from depression because I can really help them because I've been through it and I've learned to manage it and I've learned to
0: overcome it. It's a very inspirational story because I have to say, even having two kids is not the easiest thing and you've got both parents looking after them when you have to look after four kids by yourself, I don't know how you managed it.
1: <laughs> you know how, how I managed it, I keep saying that my daughter has one little baby, two years old. And i was thinking, I can't handle this. I can't do it. I think what I do, I do things in my subconscious, right? So when I do something, even when I buy a property, I don't I don't sort of look at the property and go home and think, should I buy this? Should I buy that? I look at it and my, I go by my gut feeling. And my gut feeling says, yes, buy it. And there's only been a couple of properties that haven't gone up in value, but most of my properties have done really well. Some of them have gone up four times what I paid for it. So it's, it's. I I think, I used to just get up and do it. You know, I had to do it. I had to, you know, look after them. And also, I was really driven. My husband came to me and said, give me six months, I'll take the kids away from you. And I thought, right, stick my fingers up at him and said, okay, we'll see. So basically, I was driven by the fact that I had four kids, I had to look after them. And also, you know, to prove to people that I could keep these kids because it was really hard, you know, I've got to tell you. And the good thing about it, one of my sons is a, is an entrepreneur. He's actually in Singapore and he's doing really, really well. He's a CEO of Sustainer, and he's been interviewed by quite a lot of CNBC and all that sort of thing. So I'm really proud of him because he's followed in my footsteps. He's probably he's probably uh, a little bit better than me at that age anyway.
0: That's ins- inspirational to hear that your son has, has progressed so well since then. And I think there must have been some kind of, I guess, adversity that inspired him to, to push further.
1: He saw me work all the time. So it's just, again, it's subconscious. You see your parent do certain things, you do it.
0: The successful mother of four shares the process of becoming self-employed after leaving Australia Post and how she managed to support her family.
1: Let's just go back. So let's start from when I got divorced. I got divorced, and I was left with a block of land in Tenamera, which is a long way away from the city. And everybody said to me, don't build there, don't build there. And I did, because if you tell me don't do something, I will do it. Because it was next to a big power line, and my mother was scared that I was going to get cancer, etc. So when I was left with this block of land, I remember standing on the block of land saying to myself, who is going to look after me when I'm old? Because I remembered when I was in Mauritius, looking at these old people begging on the street. So that was my why I wanted to do that. So what I did... Uh, whilst I was working for Australia Post, I gave up Australia Post just after I got my home loan. I went to the, I wanted to build a house. So what I did, I didn't know how to build a house. I became an owner builder. As a matter of fact, I still own this house and I don't even have a final on it. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to get that at the moment. So basically um, what I did is I owned and built that house. And I didn't know what I was doing, I hired a builder, and I just watched him, and that was my first deal. And, uh, and then after that, the property was worth about 150,000 more, I went and bought another property uh, which I subdivided into two. And, and then I stopped. I stopped investing in property for a little while because we've, we were going through a recession, And I could see people sometimes losing their homes, people were going bankrupt. See, I really understand what's happening in the world today because I've already been through this. I've been through the GFC. I've been through, you know, the recession of the 90s. So it does really help you make decisions because you've experienced it.
0: Swan explains what she actually built on the property to increase its value by $150,000.
1: Well, I built, believe it or not, a 400 square metre home. (laughs) <laughs> um, you've got a picture of it and but the problem is if I built that in Paddington it would be worth a lot of money I built it in the wrong area and that's why I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and one of them was that but in saying that that house is the grandparent of all my properties because without that house, I mean, I could have taken that fifty thousand and gone and bought a BMW, but I decided to invest it in my first home. So once I had the first home, I bought the I subdivided the block of land, and nobody was doing that in my days. No one. I mean, I'm a woman, you know. In those days, you couldn't even get a loan without a man. So, and when I went to get the loan for this, oh. It was so difficult. Everybody was saying, so what does your husband do? I have no husband, so I'm sorry, no thanks. And then I actually went to three, four banks. They all said no, no, no. And then I met a broker, never underestimate a broker. They are really good. And so he got me a loan with St. George and the rest is history. So basically from that house, I created... You know, even though that house hasn't gone up—I mean, it hasn't gone up that much. It's only worth like seven fifty-eight, but I'm getting seven hundred and ten dollars um, rental from it.
0: That's still really good. And and I guess, as you said, when you had four kids, that's where you first lived there, just to be able to have put a shelter over their heads. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wanted a big home because when I was young, I didn't have a home. I used to live well. There's eight kids, right? Even when we moved to Australia. We were living in somewhere like Parramatta because you know, when you're a migrant you you don't know where to live and you don't have any money to so I was I was we were renting a three bedroom home. It was disgusting. And my you know, some of my friends would come over and they'd look at it and raise their eyes. So I had this thing about giving my children a better life. So this house was actually the best house in the street. On top of the hill with views, you know, I felt really proud when I built that because that was, you know, there's nothing more, there's nothing better than accomplishment. And I felt it really boosted my self-esteem because even though I was really good at property and I was really good at business, when it came to my personal life, I was absolutely a basket cake, you know, a basket cake. So basically, you know, you're good at some things and you're not good. But over the years, I've learned to... Become my mind's master and not its slave, and that's because I've worked a lot on my brain. You know, it's just done a lot of personal development.
0: How many uh, properties do you think you've purchased in, I guess, your your lifetime? Five,
1: six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen.
0: What kind of properties were they? That's
1: one thing I hate. I used to buy. I used to buy house for so much. And then I would sell it to someone else and, and, and then sort of settle on the same day and make sixty, seventy thousand. 70,000. That was one. I bought a development. I bought a townhouse in Borkham Hills in Sydney. One of the developers came to me and said, look, do you want to buy this? You don't have to put any deposit down. By the time I bought it and it settled, it had gone up in value and I didn't put any money down. It was just like I was really making. A lot of money at the time, and so uh, and then what else did I do? I I bought when when we moved to Brisbane. We I I tell you this story. I could have bought a place in Paddington right? Uh in in Brisbane, and the house was really old and dilapidated. And I was really in those days I was a different person. Um, I was scared that there were ghosts in the house, <laughs> so I did. I didn't I didn't want to buy the house. And so I went and bought a four-bedroom brick home. See, these are all the things I, you know, the mistakes I made. But, you know, we wanted, you know, kids in the street and all that sort of thing. So I bought a house at Springwood, four-bedroom with a pool, blah, blah, blah. But then the house at, at Paddington would have gone up so much compared to the house at Springwood. So... Basically, but I need to tell you something. The breakthrough for me started. So after I built my home and subdivided my block of land, I wanted to learn everything I could about finance and property. So I got my real estate license. I never really sold real estate. I just wanted to have my license. So it gives me more choices. And I became a finance broker. So my breakthrough in life happened when I left uh, brisbane and i moved to sydney i went to a ball in sydney and i was sitting next to this guy he was trying to give me eye contact i didn't want to talk to him then finally he got eye contact and he said so what do you do and i said i'm a finance broker he said oh funny that my company is looking for a finance broker so the next day i went to my i bought a night suit And I took it back after the appointment (laughs) and um, basically I went to this appointment um, and like I'm very good at selling myself. The best thing you can do in life is learn to sell yourself because at the end of the day, someone buys you. They don't buy Ray White, they don't buy. So basically they said, what is it going to take for you to leave Brisbane and come and work for us as general manager? And I, just jokingly, right, I didn't think it would happen. I said, I want a brand new BMW convertible. The next day, I get a fax. I've got photos of this. The next day, I get a fax saying, yes, you've got... It was a really nice green colour. And they said, when can you start? So I did something bad. I went home, back to Brisbane, and I said, come on, kids, we're leaving. We're going to Sydney. And as I said, I always make decisions in my subconscious mind. I don't sit there and think about it because if I thought about the fact that, you know, um, what, you know my kids won't go to school and lose their friends, I wouldn't have done it. But going to Sydney, I worked with, you know, Mark McGaw, Kieran O'Connor. I, look at the five people in your life. That's your future. I lived in Rose Bay. I drove a BMW. I had really, you know... CEOs of companies I was associating with a lot of people. And what that did to me, I saw Kieran turn a bread factory into units, which I bought one of them and then he went broke. And so basically going there and meeting him, he inspired me without even knowing, he inspired me to think, right, I'm going to go back to Brisbane because my kids wanted to go home. And I'm going to start investing. I said, I'm going to go for broke. If you can say to your psyche and your soul, go for broke. I want to die of exhaustion. I don't want to die of wear and tear. How much can I do? How much can I become? And that's what I said to myself. I was really, I used to be really into motivational And I'd play, you know that song, Simply the Best? (laughs) I'd play that every morning, just that little bit. And it would really, you know, give me a buzz. So when I came back, that's when I actually, I was in the Property Investor magazine. I actually made $2.2 in about two and a half years. So I made a lot of money when I came back from Sydney. And that was because, if you associate with negative people who go, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Don't do that. You'll get, you go broke. You need to be, it's really important who you associate with.
0: She delves into a worst property investing moment where she learned valuable life lessons.
1: I think the lowest of the low was the first one I did because, A, I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought, oh, I buy a block of land. I'm going to subdivide this. So I hired a builder, and I didn't know, unbeknownst to me, he'd lost his license. He was he was just terrible. And then it rained because I actually moved a house from Cooperood to the back, and the house wouldn't fit on the side. I actually had a bit of a breakdown after that. So that was my worst uh, that was my worst investment because it took a while to happen, and then um, you know I had to pay someone else to come and fix all these problems. So I took him to court. Uh, it was just sort of went on forever. But in saying that, when I subdivided that block, I was able to. I sold the front and I kept the back and I owned it outright. And then that, yeah, and then that house I I sold and then I bought my commercial property with that.
0: As she goes on to explain more about this particular property, that happened to be her worst deal. Something else happened in her life.
1: I bought the block. It was a thousand square meters in Moruka, which is about seven kilometers from the city. And when I see, I used to go home and just do some due diligence, and I'd ring up the council and say, "Can I do this? Can I do that?" But the problem is, I didn't know what I was doing. I just sort of thought, "Okay, I want to do it and I, I'm a bit impulsive like that. I just say, "Look, I want to do it. I'm just going to do it." And i didn 't have any mentors i didn 't really, look in my time there was no mentors, there were no people doing this or if they were it, you know there was really no books on anything so i I think my problem was i didn 't know what I was doing you know what I mean and and that 's why, and when something happened, I got really stressed and I got really depressed because I you know emotionally I was losing money and I was losing time, and it really stressed me out. So that wasn't a very – and after that, I didn't do anything, as I said, for the next uh, five to six years. I sort of um, – I just took a rest and I wasn't resting. I was still working and I was really working on myself. I started reading uh, Unlimited Power by Anthony Robbins. And that really, that book really motivated me because I'd just read that and I would just do what what he said. And, you know, I think when you invest in property, it's really important that you are confident in what you're doing. And I wasn't confident with that. So, you know, I changed everything. And then that's why when I came back, I was confident. I, yeah, I knew what I was doing. So when I came back to Sydney, my first investment property was a block of four units. In Paddington, which um, nobody wanted to buy, it was so dilapidated. And I went to the owner and I said, "Look, I'll buy it. You have to give me access to this property for three months. I'll renovate it, and then we'll settle. Make it unconditional." So he he said yes. So I renovated inside, you know, just a basic renovation, and my rent sort of, you know, doubled in value. And then I made $200,000 on that particular property in six months, okay, because the market was starting to go up. And Paddington is a very good area in Brisbane, and that property is my little gem because that was what gave me the confidence to go and do more. So when I bought this, then I went and bought how many? One, two, three... I went and bought three houses in a matter of months. I just kept buying because I kept... I remember going to my kids and saying, look, I've been looking after you for a long time. I need to look after me now. It's about me. But it wasn't really about me. I wanted... See, my goal is to leave wealth to my children. When you become wealthy... Uh, it's all about leaving it to your children because what else do you do? So now I've got grandchildren, so I know when I go, I'll be leaving all my assets to my kids, which will, you know, make them happy.
0: Despite confronting obstacles along her property investing journey, Swan reflects on the moments where everything just clicked for her.
1: There was a mall in Maruka that I used to um, I used to go there and walk around and I used to say in my mind, one day I'm gonna own this and it came up for sale and I remember when someone told me it was for sale, I just got in my car and I just drove there and I looked at it and I said, you know, I rang up the agent and said, I want a contract. So this mall has thirteen retail shops. I paid nine hundred and eighty thousand for this property, okay. It's now worth about $5 million, but the good thing about this is it's returning me $360,000 per annum. That is my best, best, best asset. But listen to this. It's also, you can really add value to this place. In the back where the furniture shop is, I can build 15 units. That's one option. The second option, you sell it to a developer, and eventually you'd be able to, because it's it's only six seven kilometres from town. So that is my. Apart from, I'd say, the block of units, that mall. I mean, you know, I go there, I feel really good, I own this mall, and they all go, hello, boss, hello, boss, you know. And, and I'm really good to my tenants. Recently, I went to them and I said, look, we're going through bad times, I'll give you 50% off for the next three months, and they're really, really grateful. And uh, I, no one had to ask me to do that, I just did that.
0: Swan explains how exactly she came across this particular property.
1: I had a business partner who just worked down the road. He rang me and said, the mall's for sale. So I knew which one he was talking about because he kept ringing me and saying, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? I'd say, nah, nah, nah. And as soon as he mentioned this one, I knew what he was talking about. And it was really bad. It was dilapidated. It was returning at the time, probably 70,000 a year. And uh, yeah, we did some renovations to it upstairs and now it's returning a lot of money. And what I did with that, I used that as... Um, leverage to buy the development site in, you know, the one we're talking about, the boss development. Uh, because the way I do things, I use I, I use properties to leverage on other properties. I'm not really attached to money. I don't go out and buy, you know, luxury things and cars. My properties are like my children. Uh, I'm different to other people where they just buy property because because I've done so much renovation and I get close to my tenants I don't want to sell anyone. I uh, any any of them. I used to buy and flip before, but now I buy and hold. I am not going to sell anything. And and it's been a little bit tough at times with different. You know, I went through the flood in 2011, and my commercial property in Milton, uh, which is only like two kilometers from the city, it was totally underwater. I wasn't insured. I wasn't insured, and I had to pay 140 thousand to get it back. And now I've turned that property, which is, a, like, I like having my everything. So that was my commercial property where I work from. And, um, yeah, so I've turned it into meetings at Milton, which is my own events venue. Uh, I've got my own property, my own office, my own events. I can have my own training without having to go around looking for somewhere to rent. And it's available for rent.
0: As a successful investor, Swan tells us how she got into larger-scale unique property developments.
1: With the Boss development, which is the forty-six unit, I'm I'm the brain behind everything. I have a business partner, and what's happened is that when we did that in two thousand and seven, I bought it for seven hundred thousand, and about eighteen months later, I was offered two point five million. Now, I should have sold it then, but I was a little bit vain in those days. I wanted this Iranian sanctuary on Edward. I was going to build this building, but then we had the GSC. So I use a lot. I've got – on this one, I have a business partner, and he pays all the outgoings and things like that. Now, I own 80% of boss developments, but I've just decided, you know, Recently, that I'll probably give him 50% because you know he's been paying a lot of it and we've held it for so long. So, my goal as soon as this pandemic's over is to build these units because the site's too nice not to build because it's you know it's on the river. And also, I've already spoken to the council and they're really behind me at the moment to build this because mine's pretty upmarket and so they want. Uh, they want upmarket buildings going up in that area. And there's a lot of people looking for rentals. It's not like in a city where it's we've got a glut at the moment. Uh, people who live out there, they're really looking for rentals because of the university and the hospitals and all that sort of thing. So, and I did buy, as I said, I bought another one, which was, um, that was a really funny day. I bought some uh, block of land on the waterfront it was 1.7 million, but it was worth two million in those days and I remember going to the auction and I was bidding against everyone and I didn't care I just I just wanted to bid and just win this you know because uh, it was such a nice block and um, so that's the, probably the gambling in me <laughs> I'm a bit of a I suppose I gamble with with bricks and mortar I don't gamble on horses or anything else <music>
0: Swan goes on to discuss the whole process of finding these kinds of properties and how she managed to strike particular deals.
1: With this particular property at Caboolture, I had another business partner that I used to sell all these properties and um, he came to me and said, Lorraine, I want to buy this place at Caboolture, it's a good block, blah, 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 do you want to buy it with me? And I said, yes. So I bought it with him and then six months later. He came to me and he said, look, I don't want to own that anymore. I want you to buy me out because he was really into too many things. He didn't focus on He's gone broke. So I bought that, his share and hence the reason why I own 80% of that site. And, uh, and I have a business partner who owns 20% of that site. So once you get to the thing is I don't really use my own money because I'm good at what I do. People trust me and I've got a lot of knowledge because, you know, I haven't just started. I mean, there's a lot of people who read books and then they regurgitate and you you see these 20-something people on YouTube going, oh, you know, invest in property. And I'm thinking, what do you know? I'm experienced. I walk my talk. Do you know what I mean? And I've got, you know, I'm earning 540000 in rental income a year. So my goal in life has, has not really been to to um, buy and flip it's been to create residual income which gives me power because you know some days I don't get out of bed some days I don't work today because I don't have to I, all I do once a month, at the end of the month, I just go and check whether they've paid their rent or not. And I love doing that, but most of them pay their rent. I don't have any problems. But with regards to the development side, getting a DA is not that hard. You've just got to deal with the right people, the architect, you're the town planner, this, that, and the other. It's just a way, and I'm, anything you do, it's just a way of doing it. And I did have a few friends, uh, William, who'd, who'd actually built a few units who helped me with that. But recently, we're talking about two months ago, I was actually talking to a finance broker about getting a joint venture partner um, to build the units uh, with me. And um, so that's probably where my next step will be because Whilst other people go looking for new deals all the time, which is what I used to do, I don't really need to do that now because I've got this development site, I've got the mall that I can do something with, um, I've got – that's probably the two. But but doing those two is worth a few million dollars. Do you know what I mean? Like if you build 15 units in the back, well, that's worth – there'd be a lot of profit in there and rental income. So that's my goal for the next, you know, next five years or so to do that. And I wanted to increase my rental income to a million dollars, right? <laughs> but the problem with that is because I have been a little bit lazy and complacent, I actually went and had a bit of an accident in Mauritius a couple of years ago, so I hurt my back and my knee. So I've been a little bit less motivated to do things until three months ago where I sort of got a few people together and say, right, I'm building the units and what do we do? And we were going to buy a lot of the material from China, but that doesn't look possible now because of what's happening. So I just have to wait and see what's going to happen with the economy because I don't believe in taking big risks like not right like now because I, I could potentially lose everything.
0: That's true and I think this is a, a strategy I guess and a sort of defensive play just to see what's going to happen next before making any big bold moves which is important because this is unprecedented, we don't know even know what's going to happen in the future as well.
1: No one's ever been through this. I mean I don't even know what's going to happen. All I know some of my rental income like I've, I've got one unit in Paddington, never had any problems renting it, it's been empty for six weeks. So, I went to a few of my tenants yesterday, and I said, "Look, if you sign another six months this i'll give you I'll give you a discount, so they've all signed up because i'm I'm sort of proper preparation presents poor performance, so I'm just sort of going ahead, and just to make sure they still stay, and if they do leave, well, I'm covered by insurance, so for the next six months, I'm fine." But no one knows what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I have been through this before, the GFC in the 90s where we went through the recession, the floods. And you know what? In life, there's always winter and, and summer and dark and light, you know? So, look, I'm quite happy that – I'm not happy that this is happening, don't get me wrong, but I, it's not affecting me. I just go through the flow and every day I wake up and I go through the flow and I listen to the news but I, I really do. I don't really think it's going to affect property. I don't think in Brisbane because our prices are quite low, and and with everything they're spending two billion here, there, and everywhere. So I think we'll be okay. But it's just going to take a little while. And this, I don't think anybody should really worry. I mean, I don't really have anything to worry about because, you know, I get rental income, so I'm not going to lose my job. Um, <laughs> you know, I just make sure I manage it well.
0: she goes on to discuss more about her portfolio and the different kinds of properties she has purchased.
1: I used to do residential and then I wanted to go to the next level. Buying four, four units was really a bit daunting for me, right? So after I bought the four units, I decided to buy my own commercial property because I want to be in control of my life. So I bought the commercial property and then I refinanced the commercial property and I bought the mall, right? And then, uh, so the mall has uh, 14... Uh, retail shops, commercial property, I used to rent it up and down and have two tenants. Uh, the block of units has four tenants. Now, in the back of the block of units, there's a block of land that was 900 square metres, right? So my tent, my the, the lady who lived in the back rang me and said, Orange oh, Swan, do you want to buy my, block of, my house and block of land? And I didn't even think about it. I didn't even do any research. I said, yes, I'll take it. And so I bought it and paid quite a hefty price for it. But what that did, I've just done another development, which I haven't told you about, in the back of Paddington. I moved the house forward and I built a duplex in the back. Now, this block was a really bad block and really, like both of my subdivisions was (laughs) really taxing on my mental health. Because when I built this, my architect helped me, but when I built this, he didn't do his research because I basically said to him, okay, we'll do this together, but I'm paying you to do all of the above town planning. But he didn't do. I think he was a bit ill. He didn't do the research. So when I built this, I had to build over sewer, build over stormwater, blah, blah, blah. Then the tenants next door were complaining. It took me... 2013, 2014, 2015, finally, 2016 in August, I actually settled on it. But, you know, with every bad thing that happens, there's a good thing. I now owe, like, I used to get 500, so I sold one of the duplex, so I own the other one outright. So I basically turned my backyard into $900,000, right? And um, and so the back one is really quite nice, got a back deck. I've just rented it to Rio Tinto for $865. I rent it all, but it's furnished. So I get $865 for the back and I get $710 for the front. So what that's done is created rental income for me and the back one, because I don't have the debt, any debt on it, so... Um, yeah, I own it out right now. So, and it's really close to the city. It's like two kilometres and it's a really good area and it's just going to keep going up because that area is really going ahead. So that is like, I feel so proud when people come to the block of units. I say, oh, yeah, but I own the one in the back and the one in the front as well. And it makes me feel like some women love people saying, oh, you're beautiful, I love your dress, I love your shoes. I'm not really into that. I love the fact that I get my self esteem from my properties, and they're not just properties, as I said. It's part of my life. It is part of me. And if you took these properties away from me, I wouldn't know what to do with my life, because, you know, they're yeah, they they're part of me. I've been doing it for so long, and I love them. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's very different to the way other people would say, oh, who's this crazy woman talking like that? But when you actually take an ugly duckling, like I've got a house in Baden. I only paid 400000 for it. It was not that nice. I've spent money on it. I'm just about to put a $20,000 um, uh, bathroom in it. But it's valued now. The one across the road sold for $1.6 so I bought it for four, right? So it's now one point six and I hadn't spent that much money on it, perhaps one hundred, and it returns sixteen hundred dollars um, and sixteen hundred yeah, dollars a week. So that's a really good return and I was renting
0: it. As a mother of four, Swan was driven to succeed and we discovered her motivation behind property investing.
1: When my husband left me, and you know, I thought that he was going to stay with me forever, and you know, his parents had properties and that sort of thing. I thought, oh, I'm going to be fine, gonna leave us properties, blah blah blah. And when he left me, it was this who is going to look after me when I'm old? That was my main, it was like a mantra. See you know, a lot of people don't realize they need to save and invest for their retirement. Because, you know, like there's, I don't know, 60% of women who retire now, that they're going to be living in poverty. I'm not. Because I planned my life. I saved, I invested, and I didn't buy all the designer clothes. And now I can walk into a You know, I walked in last year and I bought a brand-new BMW because I could. I wanted to. And, yeah, so you've got to uh, delay instant gratification, I keep saying. Delay instant gratification and then so that you have a better life down the track. Now, some people these days, they're all about, you know, I want it now, I want it now. So if that's what you want, fine, but, you know, wait till you're older. Because I have a lot of friends who were very wealthy um, that I knew years ago. And they used to drive the nice car, the Reeboks, the whatever, and I didn't. I had a Datsun 120Y, right? And when I drove it, my kids used to say, don't drive in front of the school, please, just drive up the road because they were embarrassed. And I didn't care because I knew what I was doing. I had a goal and I'm sticking to my goal. And, yeah, basically that's what happened.
0: Swan shares with us if she ever came across mentors or resources that inspired her along her journey.
1: I've never, ever, ever had a mentor to do with property. I have, with regards to my personal development, I've read a lot of books because in my day, they didn't have that. And I'm telling you, what I had, it was... You know how some people can draw and some people can play music? I really do think I inherited my dad's mind because he has that same mind. I can work things out in my head. Um, No, I didn't have any mentors at all when it came to that. The people came to me. I was the mentor. Um, I, I was a big risk taker and I understood property and I knew that every property I bought, bar one, which was a townhouse across the road from the beach, which I still own, that's like I wanted that so I can go and, you know, go, go there on the weekends down the track. But every property I've bought, it's always been, I can add value, I can add value. My ex used to say, oh, don't buy something to add value. Just buy a low-set brick and you'll get really good tax deduction. And I said, no, I want to buy things that I can add value to. And all the ones that um, I, I can't add value to, I had another townhouse at Turingo, I sold that. Um, yeah, so everything I've got left at the moment are really prime property because they in Paddington, Milton, Barden, which is upmarket professional areas. It's, it's I still own the one in the birds, And I gave it to my daughter. She said, no, I don't want to. <laughs> she doesn't want to live out there. So, yeah, so um, I'm quite happy with where I am. I mean, along the way, you know, there's been a lot of um, – Mistakes where I've trusted people and they've, they've taken money from me, and that happens a lot. But I got to tell you, it's really easy to make money. What's hard is to keep the money. And sometimes people make the mistake of when things get bad, they sell. There's so many people, they just sell. Oh, I can't handle this. But what I used to do, if things got bad, I used to move out of my house, but I could rent for very high. Price and move into one of my lesser house and just live there for six months while I was getting the cash flow. I was willing to do whatever it took to get me to where I wanted to go. And this is the mindset that I have. My mindset, I believe that, Look, sometimes people go and learn about property, but mindset is everything. It's mindset that got me to where I am. It's mindset, nothing else. It's just, you know disappointment in life can lead you to ruin and destruction because you go, oh, I'm bankrupt, I'm this, I'm that. But you've got to learn the art of transmuting your emotion, your mindset into dreams and success. And that's what I did. And um, so I used whenever I was depressed or whatever, I'd go in a room and I'd paint my walls. So it took me off. Do you know what I mean? Because I knew once I painted the room or did what built a deck, I'd feel good and then the prices would go up in value.
0: She goes on to share with us her book and audio recommendations that have ultimately inspired her.
1: I've read a lot of books but you see, for me, I know a lot of people, they say, oh, I want to get into property, I want to get into property and that's all they think about. You can't think about that because we're a body, a mind and a soul and a physical and everything else. You've got to get the other areas of your life together, okay? So I read, uh, I listened to this woman called Carolyn Mitt. She's like more of a spiritual guru. And what she actually did for me, and I didn't mean to listen to her. Somebody dropped off some tapes on my doorstep. I don't even know who this person is. She saw that I had issues because, you know, I've been divorced. I had four kids. I had low self-esteem because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she left that on my doorstep and I started listening to it and I listened to it all the time because she talks about self-esteem and all that sort of thing. And I read Unlimited Power. I read The Power of Your Subconscious Subconscious Mind. I used to listen to a lot of Wayne Dyer. and, And now I just listen to whoever that I never really read anything about how to subdivide, how to develop, how to create rental income. I've never, ever, ever in my life done anything of that because when it came to property and it came to selling or business, I was so good at it that I didn't really need nor want anyone to tell me what to do because... Right now, I can't say my ex-husband helped me, my ex-boyfriend helped me, my brother, my sister, I did this alone and that's what I wanted. I just wanted to do this and this is all about my skills. So when I leave this world, it's like I've done something in my life instead of just sitting around and, you know, like most women do <laughs> and wait for death.
0: The diligent investor reflects on the best advice she has ever received throughout her property journey.
1: I used to listen to a lot. of Jim Rohn. He actually inspired me a lot. There's something he said to me that I used to have on my wall, right? If you work on your job, you make a living. If you work on yourself, you make a fortune. When, like, It's true. If you work in a job, like all these people in a job now, they're going to lose their jobs. But if you work on yourself, you start, like with me, I learned about financing and I'll tell you what saved me when I forgot to tell you in 2009, went through the financial crisis, right? I cross-collateralized all my properties and that's why I could buy so many properties because, you know, NAB used to say, um, yeah, I used to say, say well, I want a million. Yeah, one point seven. Yeah, because they had all my assets and I, it was in good. But what happened in 2009, They came to me and say, "Dear Mrs. Long, we will not be." You know, they didn't want my business because they thought I was going under. So I had to get that portfolio, and it was so stressful. I had to refinance every single one of them to different banks. Now I've got NAB, BOQ, Rams, St George. So. Nobody can, you know, if anybody out there is cross collateralizing so they can buy more properties, do not do it because I tell you, that cost me a lot of money. If that didn't happen to me, you know, things would be a lot better for me. And that really, really stressed me out. And um, yeah, so never cross collateralize a business like the mall or commercial property with your residential, keep them separate keep them safe. I didn't know that. So the only thing that saved me was the fact that I used to be a finance broker. And so when I went to buy a deal or do a deal, I used to tell the brokers what I wanted. I used to say, this is the way you put this deal together because I understood finance. If you want to do really well in property, you need to understand finance, what the bank require, blah, 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 so you can give them what they need. You know, if you don't know about finance, forget it. I mean, you know, that was one of the things that, apart from my mindset, I think understanding finance was just, you know, it helped me so many times.
0: If the renovation expert had some time to reflect on her past self 10 years ago, we find out what she would have said to herself
1: Hold, never flip because there's a few properties that I flip only because, like, when I went through the GSC, I had to flip this one at Chuang, It was on two locks. But it was something that I could sell really quickly to get out of trouble, right? Don't flip. I know a lot of people go, oh, you need to flip. And then – but by the time you pay the agent, by the time you pay land tax, you pay this, it's stupid. And also, what else? You associate with like-minded minds. That's so important. Uh, at the beginning, I didn't do that. I was just hanging around, you know, not, not really good people. Um, and uh, uh, what was I, was I going to say? Um, habits that contributed to my success. You've got to eliminate negative people from your life. Because sometimes you want to do something, and you've got—I've got—I've got, I've got, I've got it around me right now. I wanted to do a bathroom, so I woke up yesterday and said, "I'm doing my bathroom." So I got someone to come and demolish. I've got two friends walking and say, "Why do you want to build a bathroom? We're going through a pandemic. Why do you want to spend money?" I said, "Well, just because we're going through a pandemic, I'm not going to stop living. Do you know what I mean?" So basically, you've got to stay away from, uh, you know, negative people. And because I had a lot of that, my mother, this, that, and the other, and a lot of even my ex boyfriend used to say, don't buy this, don't do this, don't do that, and used to say, don't buy commercial, it's really risky. And, you know, I said, well, I'm buying it, it's my money. So, yeah, so that's what I would say. And also, um, okay, there's a lot of time that I bought out of impulse, okay? And I didn't do my research properly. I just bought out of emotion, like, for example, the commercial property that I own. I didn't know it was in a flood area. So when I went through the floods, I come from Sydney. I don't know what a flood is. I've never been through a flood. So when my sister rang me that morning and said, oh, there's going to be a flood, and I said, she'll be Right. But by the time I came here, the water had just come up. So I've got a, I'm a bit impulsive. I was, when I was younger, really impulsive. I just go in and I say, yeah, I'll take it. And sometimes I didn't do my due diligence. It still made me money and it's still great properties. So I think that's one of the things that. If I look back at my, and also if I look back at my life, I would be less emotional. I was really emotional and something would go bad. I would just go to bed and, oh my God, I can't cope. What's going to happen? And that's what I talk about with you, about your mood and mindset. Because if you learn to be your mind's master and not its slave, when something happens, like at the moment, we're going through stuff. I'm not upset. I'm fine. And even if I lost property, who cares? Do you know what I mean? So I've learned to train my mind to be positive, but I'm telling you, I've only been like this maybe 10 years, it's less, and I've just learned. And people need to understand that when they go through bankruptcy, when they go through divorce, when they go through whatever, they need to get their mood and your mindset go hand in hand. If people don't understand that, because your thoughts, which is your mind, create your emotions. So you say to yourself, oh, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. So you've got to always be at the door of your mind and keep telling you, I can do it. You know, you know, I can do it. I will do it. It will be okay. And I think that's what I do all the time. I don't really allow negative negativity in my head anymore, whereas before I was controlled by it because I've had a mother that was just the most negative person in the world and she was fearful. My life is full of fear. So what I've done is I've turned my life from fear to financial freedom. Whereas before, I could only do property. Now, I feel that I have you know, the talent to be able to do whatever I want to do because I've got my mind right.
0: Swan paints a picture for how her property investment journey might look like in the next five years.
1: That's my last chapter of my life. That's what I want to do and also with them more. Um, there's money to be made in that. I mean, we're talking about both of them having—I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe six million profit. Uh, so uh, I, yeah, I don't really want to go and look at properties and buy and sell. Look, to be honest, right now I was just—I've got a personal banker. I was talking to him yesterday, and he basically said to me. People who want to buy investment property at the moment, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. So, so say a property is worth a uh, million dollars. They they are valuing it at eight hundred thousand, and the banks they the banks used to take say eighty percent of your rental income, right? So. Because of of what's happening, they're not taking eighty percent now. They're taking like sixty percent. So people are going to find it really, really hard to get into property unless you're cashed up. If you're cashed up, it's a fantastic time to buy because there's a lot of good deals out there. But if you're just a you know normal mum and dad looking for investment property, I would say wait. I wouldn't buy anything right now, only unless you're getting it for like one two hundred thousand below value but I, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Uncharted waters, never have we experienced this before.
0: Last question for you, Orain, is how much of your success is due to your skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck?
1: Everything is due to my skill, my personality. I'm a Virgo, so I'm very sort of, um, I, I just do everything like I check everything. Like when I'm saying, well, I didn't check with the flooding, but that's the only thing I didn't check. But I'm very, um, how can I say, well, put it this way, maybe moving to Sydney was luck. Um, moving to Sydney was luck because I got this job. If I hadn't got that job, I don't think I'd be where I am now. And I think I got the job because they, in those days I was good looking, I had the right personality and I, I don't know, I presented well and I was a re- really great Salesperson, so that was probably luck, but not just luck, as well as skills. Um, yeah, so I think I don't think it's luck. It's it's definitely skills because I I actually worked on myself. The finance broking got a real estate license. I was a property. See what happened? I started as a. I had a job, then I became self-employed, and then I started buying commercial properties, and then I had a business. So I've actually done everything. So you can't do that out of luck. You've got, to, you've got to, you know. I'm just, I don't know. I'm good at this thing. I mean, everybody looks at me and they scratch their head and they go, "How did you do this?" I said, "I don't know. I just got a skill. I just know what to do. It's just one of these things, just like playing guitar or." Or, or doing whatever. some people are really great at computers. I'm hopeless at computers. I don't want to know. I haven't got enough rants in my brain for that.
0: Thank you to Irene Swan, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about her journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com.